Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your week in IndyCar listener Q&A. We are heading into the proper month of May. We've already been here, been here for about 10 days now. Finally, the real month of May is upon us. And even that sounds a little strange to say. Although, what? We're not too far. A couple more years and we'll be at a full decade of Indy Grand Prix preceding the Indy 500 However you want to slice it up, whether you're a newish fan who's only known the month of May with the Indy GP included, or some of us who've been around for a little while and are still getting used to this thing right before practice starts. We're here. We're finally here. Uh, it is Monday evening. It is 6.12 p.m. My absolutely incredible wife did a uh, amazing job at physical therapy today, 92 degrees while there was some air conditioning inside. It didn't condition it down to a much below 92. So amazing work by her before we got on the road today, actually well before, early this morning, was so happy to confirm that what sure as heck looked like vaporware for a long, long time is real. Top Gun Racing, yes, boys, yes, girls, Top Gun Racing hit the good old motor racing circuit, went around in some circles at Worldwide Technologies Raceway, a.k.a. Gateway, did go around, uh, from what I understand, they didn't do a ton of laps, nonetheless, they did some laps, period, that's the important part. They made that transition from an idea, something maybe being massively oversold and teased to death and a lot of things not coming to fruition for too long. But finally, after buying, what was it, one or two new cars, however many, finally getting an engine lease, which I confirmed this morning, uh, hit the track with RC Enerson. Really happy for them. Really happy for the Indy 500 that we're going to have, unless something truly strange happens, uh, we're going to have 36 cars vying for 33 spots. <sighs> and I guess, let's see, what else? There's this thing about, well, but are they going to have a chance? Are they too small? Uh, so on and so forth. You know, are they the first out? Uh, are they first ones out of the qualifying not a chance to make it into the race look i don't know right none of us know i would say that as i have told a f more than a few people for a couple of months now who have asked for top gun racing updates hey i heard this i heard that what do you know my standard answer has been gave them whatever amount of attention and publicity on the approach to being real they turned out to not be real as soon as they prove themselves to be real and hit the track with a vehicle, do some laps, then we can kind of sort of start talking about them in normal terms. And boy, happy for them. I have worked for a number of very small, small IndyCar teams ones that you would say would be very pleased to make the last couple of rows. And, yeah, uh, I don't know where they're going to fit in. I can only tell you that I'm glad they exist. I'm glad R.C. Enerson is there. 
I couldn't tell you the first thing about engineering support. There's a lot of things I could, I have no clue about and may directly affect whether they are competitive or not once practice begins. But I can at least tell you they're a real thing. I'm so happy that we can talk about that in those terms because it's a guy who always really wanted to work for the smaller to medium-sized teams, never worked for a big team, never held any interest for me. Um, I love the underdogs. And, hey, they are – we need to figure out what is about 19 steps beyond underdog. Uh, yeah, uh, because we had a bit of a thing here where they're going to have a tough time. There are no easy outs in the field of 35. And with this 36th entry, it's not going to be easy. Okay. There really are no easy outs that I can find elsewhere on the grid. The only question mark is going to be whomever's driving Dale Coyne's third car, which does not have a driver attached to it yet. We do know that team tends to be pretty quick around the speedway. You plug in a competent driver, and I'm just saying competent, not good, not great, just competent. That's probably going to be a fast car. So where do we go from here? I don't know, but at least we can talk about these guys, the Throckmortons. Bill and Stephanie and Gary Trout, they made a shakedown at Gateway. And we can just cross fingers and other appendages that this will continue in the right direction and they will load into the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and take part in practice and hopefully qualifying as well. So there's that little bit covered off. As usual, we have a ton of great questions, ton of great questions, Going to get through as many as I can. Really going to try and stick to an hour and a half, hour 45 or so. We'll do my best there. Huge thank you to Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. Celebrated our fifth anniversary. Happened to land last Saturday and didn't do anything giant. Just asked our pal Roger Warwick to do a graphic. And, yeah, it's really as basic as can be. Thanks to everyone for helping my wife and I, to get here five years, it's kind of mental to consider that. Uh, I don't want to add up the amount of time that's gone into this show, but uh, or all podcasts that we've done, but I have enjoyed it. It is a outlet for me, hashtag me personally, the official hashtag of my podcast. Uh, it is an outlet for me. It's a creative outlet. It's also fits my extrovert personality of being able to connect with racing fans, IndyCar fans, sports car fans, you name it. And outside of the interview shows and whatever other bits that we do, just the weekly Q&A format, it's become a big part of my life. So true thanks to all of you. So before, well, I should say before, let's cue our uh, music bed as we get ready to start the Q&A part. We'll mention that I don't do this that often because I'm rationing them because, uh, you know, got to stay smart with our money. Uh, I am enjoying a beer that some friends sent me, uh, a Youngling Hershey's Chocolate Porter. It is about the strangest thing I could process in my brain, uh, and I, it's been in the fridge for a while. 
and thinking that I really did need to have a beer with this episode, uh, I realized this is all that was in there that was cold. So I didn't have a lot of uh, options. So let's go for the really strange one, he says. Youngling Hershey's Porter. It sounds like everything I would hate. And so let me take a sip. I don't hate it. <laughs> There's even a little minor aftertaste of Hershey-ish chocolate. And I haven't had any of that kind of stuff for years now. But wow. Well, thanks for sending that, guys. So <laughs> uh, I'm an idiot and I'm tickled. And it's time to start our first Weekend Indy Car Listener Q&A show after reaching this little five-year anniversary. Just had a fun text come in, by the way. From a friend who just bought a vintage Formula One car. Uh, he's hoping to get that on track here within the next two to three years. It's a dear driver friend who suggested I might need to put down the keyboard and get back to my race engineering skills. So that might be a lot of a lot of fun. Uh, boy, and the car too. It's pretty amazing. Uh, remember it very well from when it ran uh, 30-ish years ago. So... How fun. All right, where are we going to kick off here? We're going to go with a block of questions. We normally open with a central theme, visit with it for a little while. We're going to do some Indie Grand Prix questions and then dive into a whole bunch of stuff that meanders all over the place. Our pal Rishi Despond opens the show. Look at that, Rishi. We love you. That's why you open. So let's talk Indie Grand Prix preview. Uh, last year, most drivers ran a three-stop race with a few drivers like Gray Murray using a two-stopper. Says, with the race keeping the 80-lap length, do you think there will be more strategery with pit stops this year? It was really interesting looking back at the Harvest Grand Prix, which that doubleheader, if my memory serves me correctly, the first race, the Friday race, 85 laps, that was a blast. That was all over the place. That was a lot of strategery. The second race, the closer, which they dropped down to 75 laps, which I understand why. Doubleheader, punishing, road course, all that kind of stuff. Try not to wear the drivers out. Just seem to recall that simple 10-lap reduction took a lot of the intrigue away. Everyone was more or less baked into the same strategy plays. Eh, not nearly as much fun. So if you think of that 85, then 75, talking about, I guess, the normal Indy GP 80 lapper, definitely falls right in the middle. Where, where I always struggle to answer these, Harishi, on stuff like this, is do I think there could be some strategy in place? Yes, there absolutely will. There will be some interesting calls made, as we always see, by whichever drivers struggle in qualifying and find themselves 18th, 20th, whatever. Those who we know are capable of running much higher, but somebody got something wrong setup-wise, driver made a mistake, whatever it might be, in a bad place for the race start, and they have to go in an alternate direction because if they don't most likely they're not going to make up enough spots just on sheer pace it's not a track where a ton of passing tends to take place so that's always going to be the case but i would say the bigger 
question here. It's always a hard one to answer, Hrishi, simply because if it's glean, glean, green and clean, and I said glean, sure, Gleaners Food Bank, please donate to it. Be a good human being. Uh, if it is green and clean, eh, I don't know how much we're going to see that's interesting, how much strategy is going to get involved, except for those who have to roll the dice uh, because they need to somewhere towards the back. If we're fortunate to have some caution, and by fortunate, I'm just hoping it's a lot of food wrappers that hit the track, Um, frogs floating from the sky and landing softly on the track surface to be herded off, not because of crashes. Don't want those. But nonetheless, if we are fortunate to have significant amount of caution, then yes, that's where the fun starts to come in. It also depends where it happens. If we're talking to open the race and then it doesn't happen again after that, again, we don't so much open the door to fun and unexpected things. So being right in the middle of what we saw last year, say at the harvest, the 85 lapper being a blast, definitely those ex- those extra laps opened up something and the 75 lapper that really wasn't particularly interesting. The 80 has an option to do that, as it always has. Uh, but I'll tell you, um, without knowing what the yellow strategy is going to end up being, uh, to feed that into strategy, I don't really know. I never know how to answer this because I can't predict the future, my friend. Daniel Summerskill, with nearly a quarter of the season gone, who needs to have a clean, not a glean, but a clean, he says, Indy GP, to get them back in contention. Uh, and who's already looking to be destined for a fight to get into the leader circle? Says, hashtag me personally, Carlin, Kellett, and the 48 Jimmy Johnson, Tony Kanon, and even number 20, Ed Carpenter Racing Car, could be at risk. Talking about leader circle, uh, not winner circle, but leader circle. You are clearly reading the things that i'm writing daniel before i've published them because i have indeed started a little article uh talking about we're going to be past the quarter distance mark after the race on saturday here's some of the observations of what people do or don't need so i don't mind sharing some of that here also in there uh because you're you are a smart person uh yeah i've also dove into the okay we're only four races in but we should maybe start talking about that leader circle because it is getting to be something that if i'm one of the teams on the cusp of not being in the top 22 uh, i would probably already be worried because there are some that are not looking great and are going to need some pretty magical things to happen uh, in order to stay into the happy happy zone of getting that millionish dollar contract to uh, turn up and compete every year. So maybe more obvious answers on the who needs to have not just a good Harvest harvest Grand Prix, Indy Grand Prix on Saturday, but also a good Indy 500, knowing that between the two, uh, more than 150 points are on offer. I mean, right now, yeah, uh, Scott Dixon, championship leader, has 153 points. Uh, So just keep in mind that with 50 from the Indy GP, and there's the bonus points and whatnot, I I usually don't factor those into the conversation up front, but 50 to win, 
a hundred to win the 500. And this is something that we can expect to change someone's season in an instant, unless it is someone outside the top 15 to 16 or so. Those people winning would also be transformed. Don't get me wrong, but uh, I sometimes think of the big points availability in May, and it sometimes goes to someone who really wasn't a contender coming in championship-wise. They leave with a big boost, if not leading second place or something. In the points hall they take home tends to give them a decent lift for the majority of summer. Right Last year, for example, Takuma Sato eh, wasn't so much in the mix. Wins the Indy 5 just right away. Decent start to the year, right? Uh, not incredible, but decent start to the year. Um, you know, had, what, I think four top 10s, but they were kind of like 8th, ninth, 10th, right? Nothing like good, but not amazing. And then I think had a bad rate. Yeah, definitely had a bad race to close Iowa and I don't remember exactly what position he was coming into Indy in the championship, but, you know, uh, whatever, 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, somewhere in that range. And then all of a sudden wins Indy 500 and boom, huge lift. But at least coming into the 500 didn't give the indicator that he'd be able to use the double points and truly mount a title-winning run. Good run, just not, right, not one to make the most use. So this is where I tend to look at things and say, okay, there's a little bit of a cutoff. If Ed Jones wins the Indy 500, Ed Jones is 18th right now, 51 points, 103 back from Scott Dixon. Um, we list some others, you know, uh, Connor Daly wins, Dalton Kellett, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, Felix Rosenquist wins. They're going to have pretty darn decent final spot in the championship when we're done i don't know if i would say and it takes them to a title there are some others though where again talking about who needs what daniel uh, and alexander rossi winning the championship if he does not at this point in time have a indy 500 win to propel him out of 15th and points right now or goes on an epic win and podium streak that we pretty much can't get him out of there for the rest of the year. It's going to need to be one of those two things. Uh, our pal, Mr. French Fry, Sebastian Borde, similar to terrible races at Texas. He's going to need something special. Uh, and so it's kind of in that area. Hunter Ray, 17th in the points. Indy 500 win in the conversation. I don't know if we've seen championship winning form this year, but I'd say that would leave him fourth, fifth, sixth, something like that by the end of the year, provided things do indeed improve at all the other rounds. So again, just couple couple of, of things here where we look forward to uh, some folks hopefully having good months of May. But who really needs those points? Who really is going to benefit from the big boost? Well, James Hinchcliffe stands out, right? Uh, there are a couple folks who are just 
in a really unenviable place who we thought would be having stronger seasons by this point. We're at the 23.5% mark in the championship. So on one end, you could say, come on, idiot. There's still more than 75% of the year to go. How can we be making any major you know, proclamations at all? Boy, their seasons are almost done unless something magical happens and soon. I mean, have you seen how tough this this series is? <laughs> Jesus. 14th. And let's just forget the reason why. Doesn't again, it doesn't matter. The 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 people counting the points do not care why you are where you are. There there it's a heartless thing. So let's just consider Sebastian Bourdais, who was seventh in points uh or so, coming into Texas and running well until he got hit. Uh, that guy fell from seventh. He's down at 14th. He tumbled full hundred percent from where he was. Wow. Alexander Rossi had a not terrible, terrible start to the season. That 21st obviously, uh, didn't help at St. Pete, but this is a guy whose season wasn't wonderful, and then, boom, things do not go well at all to start race two, and he's sitting in 15th. Felix Rosenquist, again, he's not having a really happy start to the year, was on pace for possibly top three, top four, Texas round two, and then uh, 16th. Ryan hunter Ray, 17th in points. Uh I don't know what my expectations were totally. Fred Jones uh, was hoping that they would be off to a good start. Whatever my hopes were, which carry zero weight with the uh, the points counter, um, holding 18th in points. James Hinchcliffe, 19th. Connor Daly, 20th. After Connor, I don't expect much in terms of big championship movement simply because they're all part-timers after that. But, yeah, so when you're a Connor, a James, an Ed, a Ryan, a Felix, an Alexander, and even a Sebastian, and you have, right, four-time champion, Indy 500 winner, front-running youngish talent, Indy 500 winner and champion, a guy who we think can be pretty darn good, guy who's won a bunch of races and guy who we thought was going to have a really strong start to the year. This isn't a cluster of jokers from 14th to 20th, not by any stretch. So for them to all jump forward, what we need one of two things to happen. They need to start going nuts and winning and podiuming and all kinds of inging things, right? Uh, Or those who are in front of them need to struggle massively. So Dixon, not going to happen, right? Has not finished worse than fifth this year. And we've only had four races, but just consider that the defending champion is doing the most terrifying thing for all those who want to make him not be a seven-time champion. Even when things haven't gone great, the guy has not finished worse than fifth. Right, Of course, something stupid could happen at the uh, Indy GP, Indy 500. Again, who knows what fate has in store. But 
just consider what is the guy doing killing you with consistency and high points yield who's second pato award if not for that not great saint pete event he might very well be in front of dixon in the championship but do we think he's going to forget how to drive? Three out of his four finishes have been inside the top four, including a win. Alex Pillow in third. Three of his four finishes inside the top seven with a win. Uh, I'm just going to pick up a little bit of a theme here. Joseph Newgarden, three of his four finishes inside the top six. Two of those are podiums. Graham Rahal, uh, three of the four inside the top seven with a podium. Just tell me which one of these drivers, Rahal. Behind him, Pagano, Herta, McLaughlin, Power, Harvey, VK, Sato, Erickson. You know, there's maybe three or four that stand out that could have rougher go here coming up sometime soon and could fall down a bit. Let's take a Scott McLaughlin. Let's say for whatever reason, the universe says, nope, sorry, mate, you're going to have a terrible time for the next little while. Okay. He's an eighth. Where does he plummet to 20th? No. I mean, come on. He might fall to 10th, 12th, 14th, whatever. He's not going to plummet that far. Uh, what about Renus, right? Renus, three out of his four finishes inside the top 10. Two of those are ninths. One of those is sixth. So, you know, it's not top six finishes time in, time out. Just, but again, he's looking like he's, Definitely made a step forward in his sophomore year. Sato, we know, again, the guy runs a little bit hot and cold. As he's gotten older, though, it, it's certainly hot, and the finishes have been better and better. So, again, we could see a couple of these guys maybe struggle a little bit, Daniel. But I guess my mindset as we head into this 150-plus points availability window in May, it's barring the things that we can't predict the crash the wheel falls off cartoon anvil hits you barring the things we can't know at this stage i'm not seeing a lot of weaknesses in the top 14 terms of driver talent team talent strategy reliability not a lot of trends I can pick and go, oh, yeah, boy, you're lucky. Enjoy it while you've been there because, man, you're you're going to be losing it here soon. I, I got my eye on a couple, but not enough for some of these. The majority of 14th through 20th are heavy hitters. How do they go forward? I think it has to be on merit, Daniel. I don't know if it's so much capitalizing on misfortune of others to march up the field. So is anybody, and this is something that I've gotten a couple questions about this recently, is anybody in jeopardy? Is somebody at risk of being stood down if their bad season continues? There's no situation I can look at and say that's realistic to happen uh, almost everywhere. Does it mean there's one or two spots? Maybe, maybe, <laughs> right? Uh, for those who are wondering, Dalton Kellett, what's the deal? Look, Dalton brings K-Line as the sponsor to his entry. 
the letter K matches his last name. It's family business. Okay. He's not going anywhere. And I know there's some who don't like him or root against him for whatever reason, restating something. I like the kid, right? He's, he's as awkwardly Canadian, uh, Canadian as that I know, but that's not a bad thing. I love awkward Canadians, just like I love awkward Americans. He's that guy. And so look, We've never expected Dalton to be out there tearing up, you know, pole positions and you name it. But not every indie car driver is destined for entries uh, at the the sharp end of the history books, and that's fine. That's perfectly fine. Um, he's not going anywhere. Connor Daly brings sponsorship to all that he does. Not going anywhere. James Hinchcliffe brings sponsorship to what he does. Not going anywhere. Ryan Hunter Ray married to his sponsors. Aaron McLaren SP absolutely loves Felix Rosenquist. They have no interest in making any changes. Uh, Rossi under contract, Bourdais, same thing, and Erickson. And Only team that took a little bit of a flyer this year, and I'm not saying I have inside knowledge, and that's why I'm bringing this up. I'm just sharing that there's only one team that took a little bit of a flyer on which driver to hire for the year. And that was the Dale coin racing with Vassar Sullivan and Ed Jones. I, they don't strike me as the type to make a mid season change. If things continue to go in the wrong direction, not every thing that has led to Ed being 18th in points, you could say falls on Ed's shoulders, not by any means. But I can tell you that they are a team that has a lot of needs to succeed and do well and to impress sponsors. So having seen Ed drive like a a rabid dog and seen him do very impressive things, I truly hope that that version of Ed, from from a driving standpoint, that the engineering beneath him works, the mechanical reliability is that all the things you need to be a quality front running entry. Hope that all those, those things manifest for Ed. Uh, it's been a surprise to see things not go super, super well to start the year, but uh, that's the only driver that jumps out right now where my little pea brained head says, just just keep things in the good good zone. Let's get a couple top 10s and then I don't think we have to worry about anything. But I can tell you if it is boy we're not on TV ever because we're way too far out of where the can't the zoom on those cameras go far but not that far. Um that's the only only driver that jumps out right now that concerns me if things were to not turn around. Daniel all right, uh, we're going to wrap this little cluster up here and then move on. Going to Chuck Beck. MP, hope this week is a little less hectic compared to last. Thank you, my friend. It has been. So I know some teams like Marshank Racing are adding a car to race later this month. McLaren's adding Montoya as well. What are some of the logistical challenges that teams face when they add rides during the races, uh, races at Indy? The teams add on crew members, or they just go with who they already have? Uh Truly all depends, Chuck. If we think about the Meyer Shank racing team, uh, they have indeed been in a situation where they've consolidated from having 
one full-time IndyCar and two full-time IMSA sports car entries to same single IndyCar full-time, a single IMSA sports car entry, and going down to that single entry is what's allowed them to have the staff to apportion to this six-race part-time deal with Elio. So in their case, would say very much a situation of had they continued with two full-time sports cars in IMSA, I don't know if they would have really been thinking about going to this second part-time IndyCar effort for good old Elio Castro Neves. A little sidebar here, try and get the story out later in the week. Great call today with uh, Elio, birthday boy, turned 45, and one of our mutual friends, one of my oldest friends, uh, Matt Swan. And so the three of us actually worked together at the Hogan Racing Kart team. You might have heard me mention before. And Matt and Elio are uh, reuniting. So going to do a little story about that. Interviewed them, had some fun stuff. Uh, some of it has too many adult words for me to use in print, as I would expect. But anyways, hopefully I have a fun little story coming this weekend about these two knuckleheads uh, who last worked together in 1999, coming back together in 2021. So how fun is that? Uh, on the, uh, let's see, the Aero McLaren SP side, s- this is something where if it was the previous iterations, more the, the Schmidt-Peterson era where they ran Indy Lights teams, that's where they got their annual Indy 500 extra car crew as I understand it, they have gone out and hired just simply some extra quality people to be part of this third car program. So little bit of both, Chuck. If you got the people in-house that you can borrow, you do. Uh, Penske you know, did that for uh, the last couple of years while having their uh, IMSA program would bring in staff from there to run an extra Indy 500 car. Uh, so for those that have other programs where they can pull people in, they do. For those who don't, they tend to hire. Um, maybe this is one of the limiting factors to recognize as well, why we don't see a lot of new teams. Let me rephrase that. A lot of teams that haven't traditionally done extra cars for the 500 say, hey, we're going to do an extra car for the 500 the pool of, of skilled people um, who really know what they're doing and can perform, you know, 99 point something percent like the full-timers, that's a little bit hard to come by. Uh, I know uh, what the coin team, for example, Louis Pericarpi, I believe, they bring his team in every year. Uh, Louis runs a, a IMSA team, so this is kind of a long-standing arrangement where, you know, this is, just effectively another team coming in to be that infrastructure there. So a lot of different ways that this stuff works. Uh, Bob Gravel says, since IMS, it's IMS, my normal question seems silly, and I'll ask it for the 500. But what do you think is the most interesting or important thing about the IMS road course? I need to take a sip of beer for this one, Bob. I'm going to try and keep this one positive. Um, Budget, my friend. Uh, other than a uh, Foyt team with a one car in Texas, uh, Shank in Ohio, right? What Ray Hall? Are they still in Ohio? I forget. 
Uh, yeah, I don't think they've moved into their indie shop. I don't think it's even been built. Uh, and Penske uh, out in North Carolina, and I guess also Coin in Illinois. But for the most part, the majority of IndyCar teams are based in Indianapolis. Those who aren't, maybe most of them aren't super far. What, Carlin is in Florida? All right, there's actually a lot of IndyCar teams. that got some driving to do, but... We'll just say roughly half, and I'm probably even wrong on that percentage, but this is the home race for a lot of teams. A lot of people are going to be sleeping in their beds. Uh, There's no travel costs involved. So I would think from a team standpoint and from a series standpoint, putting on a race at the home track, probably one of the least expensive events of the year for them to put on. We do know that, and I don't. I'd have to look at the calendar and make educated guesses on which tracks pay IndyCar and which are the ones where IndyCar fronts uh, for those events. But regardless, you know there are many places IndyCar goes, and they get paid to be there. Um, this would be one where I don't pretend to know the finances behind it. If IMS actually pays its sister company IndyCar money to be there, but however it works out. At least on the team side, we know that it's work, it's a race, it's hot and all that kind of stinky and everything else, just like any other race. Thankfully, there's a lot of people who get to sleep in their own beds and drive their own cars to the track each day. So that, I would say, is a pretty nice thing. The other benefit is the ability for those teams to work out of their 500 garages and get things set up so that once 500 practice starts they're already kind of there and, and in the groove and um ready to go so i don't know that strikes me as a positive i don't know if it is didn't have the indie gp back in my day so i'm maybe pulling that one out of my backside but i do like the idea although there's a race preceding practice uh just a couple days before practice in my head at least, I think it'd be kind of cool to know that instead of having to build everything out and still spend the early days of practice, oh man, we forgot this, got to go run to the shop and get that or whatever, whatever. In theory, you should have things pretty darn ironed out so that when 500 practice does start, you're good to go. Uh, let's see, Ender Miller, are they allowing fans into the into GP? Uh, all 5,000 of them, or are they waiting for the uh, 500 to break the COVID seal? Uh, I do know that fans are allowed, Andrew. I know that because I've been told by many listeners of this show that they done bought tickets and are going. Uh, Stephen Ellis. Hey, Marshall, first-time questioner. I love it when y'all send in questions for the first time and tell me about it. I love it. I love it. So thanks, Stephen. He says, Carlos Munoz, what's he up to these days? I have no idea. Um, you, some of you might remember a couple months ago, uh, someone asked me for Carlos's number on the topic of could he be available uh, for the Indy 500. And how I forget exactly how I did it. But instead of forwarding Carlos's contact info to the person uh, who requested it, I ended up texting it to carlos (laughs) look y'all know i'm an idiot i and i say that and there's you know i'm not always an idiot but look 
It's a lot of idiocy in my day-to-day life. Be th- I'm thankful. You, you all might actually want it, because if you're having a bad day, you could turn on the Pruitt cam and just be rolling on the floor at uh, my normal daily output of idiocy. But, uh, yeah. So, texted Carlos's info to Carlos, took a moment to realize it, then responded, because I'm spoken with him and i don't know a year or whatever a little awkward i uh, like oh hey man how you doing uh sorry whatever i said uh someone asked uh for your info about the 500 uh possibility so uh forwarding it hope you're well and he was like yeah man no problem hope you're well too so i don't honestly know i love i've always enjoyed carlos i mean this guy wow what a talent um but i don't know i really don't uh so if I was a smart person, Stephen, I'd text him. If I would leave it in my brain to remember, which I'll try to do, uh, I'll send him a note and say, hey, what are you doing? And uh, if I remember to do that, Andy responds, and I remember he responded, Stephen. I'll mention it in next week's show. Uh, Simon Rafi says, uh, what do you think of the rumored idea of only allowing 8,500 rookies to compete if they have raced on another oval before? It says, sounds sensible to me. Would we say we're only going to let a road course rookie or street course rookie race if they were coming from, I don't know, oval racing, rallying, drag racing, if they'd done one other IndyCar road course or street course? I don't think we would. I know the reasoning behind this would be, but hey, ovals are dangerous. I would say no, Simon, simply because there's supposed to be quality, supposed to be a, a quality assurance level to IndyCar's licensing program. Uh, if we think about young Mr. McLaughlin, who just competed in his very first oval race, um, he was on the podium, although Texas doesn't have a podium, but finished in the top three in his first oval race, was looking very impressive the entire time. Finished second, obviously, but just saying, top three, a podium run, his oval debut. That's pretty remarkable, I would say. Beyond that, let's be honest here. Ovals are difficult, but not to the point of being unable to process and demonstrate aptitude on. So how do I know that? Because we've seen that for a hundred plus years. So yeah, whether it is a Nigel Mansell, Fernando Alonso, and I know that Nigel's first oval race wasn't the, uh, the Indy 500, but the guy was so darn fast and amazing right away. Crash aside. Um, We've seen so many skilled oval rookies come over and learn oval racing for the first time, uh, doing testing, usually, um, something that allows them to hit the speedway and look like they fully grasp what they're doing. Realize that McLaughlin got a chance to race at Texas first, so that's a great thing. I would not have had any concerns if uh, Scotty's first race was the Indy 500, just like I wasn't for Fernando Alonso 
and on and on and on and on work down the list. And to me, it's just not really a big concern based on talent. And if there are drivers where you say, ah, I don't totally know about that person. Well, that's where IndyCar is not supposed to be Disneyland. Hey, as long as you're this tall, you can ride this ride. That's the only bar to entry. Well, it's not meant to be Disneyland. It's meant to be a few other things. Will you not puke while on this ride? (laughs) Will you not fall out of the ride while on this ride? Uh, And will you not stand up and try and jump to another trolley on this ride? There's a lot of things that they should probably be asking on some of the scarier things at Disneyland. Well, I would think that IndyCar would apply the same level of scrutiny here. Uh, Let's use a very quick example. Cody Ware wasn't super fast at the Indy Open test. Have only heard that, boy, that car was loaded with downforce. And heard it that day and have only continued to hear it many, many, many days afterwards. Hey, wasn't super fast. Don't know if the car was truly capable of setting front running speeds though, because it was so gripped up for the laps that he did. Uh, I mean, I asked Jay Fry about it. Hey, uh, there's, there was a rumor that he might not be allowed to participate. And I said, Hey, I'm not saying this is accurate. Uh, it's coming in from a colleague actually, but I she thought it was serious, so I'm asking you. I said, no, seriously, we have no concerns about Cody uh, if he were to take part in the Indy 500. Um, we can't tell if he'd make the show or not, but we're confident in what he showed us to take part in practice and attempt to qualify. That, to me, Simon, is the system working. And if there are some others, and we've seen some others, I've seen some others. I know y'all have probably seen some where you go, whew, it's a good thing they only got 33 cars this year. (laughs) Because if they had 34 and there was real competition to make the show, uh, or 35, whatever the number, I don't know if uh, you'd be in the show. So thank whatever entity it might be that said it's 33 and you came up with the money and did a deal. And guess what? You're competing in the Indy 500. So I, I can't see a scenario where we'd need to do this unless IndyCar's filtering system and quality assurance system was not working. Our pal, Jeremiah Morrell says, looking forward to the Indy only entries. How much of an opportunity will these teams have to get ready for competitive pit stops? He says, Robin Miller wrote this week that he has concerns about the Peretta team being ready and able to compete with the full-time teams on pit road. Didn't see that. Um, I would imagine that the Peretta Autosport team will put the most qualified people over the wall. So there's that. Um, They have a car. They have the ability to do many, 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 many pit stops uh, in a practice mode, both shop-based and track-based. So this is one of those fairly cool things where if they so choose, they can drill themselves just mercilessly to improve in every area. Now, I don't know if this is part of what Robin was referring to or not, 
again, I haven't read it, so I'm just going with what you're mentioning here, Jeremiah. I know that Beth wants to and has been training, has had a number of women training to go over the wall. If they are ready and as fast and as capable as anyone else, I would absolutely expect them to go over the wall, just like any men going over the wall. You would expect the coming back to that quality assurance. If you're going to go over into this competitive environment where every little microsecond counts, you would think anybody being sent over the wall would meet that level of standard required to succeed. Would expect no different here with Beth's team. And so I guess I'll just leave it at that because would Beth send women over the wall who weren't as fast just for the sake of saying, hey, we had some women changing uh, wheels, but we lost X amount of time per pit stop because they were so inexperienced and whatever, whatever. I think that'd be a pretty hard sell within herself. (laughs) Uh going to try and get a it's so long it needs to be broken down into two parts a two-part my racing life and career interview with beth that we did i don't know a couple months ago get that going here asap and yeah uh that woman is made from the hardest of ass kicking material and whatever level of hyper competitiveness that maybe we've come to know from a penske a ganassi and andretti and so on She's new to the IndyCar team ownership thing, but yeah, her competitive drive is, it's scary. So just sharing that all I can imagine is that Beth would say, whomever is best is going over the wall, whatever gender those people happen to be, expect them to be the best that she has. Um, for the rest of the Indy only entries, would say it's really about organization jeremiah a little sad admission here i think it was 1997 las vegas irl race seem to recall it was towards the end of the season i don't remember if it was the season finale or not but little tiny ass tiny thomas knapp motorsports general racing team uh, I recruited a buddy of mine who I actually worked for during the off season because we didn't have enough money to really keep people employed all year round with that team. And it's all local. So, you know, uh, not a big deal. Uh, go work there for a couple months during the off season, then come back getting ready for the new season. Um, this is my buddy that I worked for who'd never been in a pro race in his life. Just local SCCA club racing a uh, car preparer, shop owner at Sears Point. He's a friend, smart, uh, could think fairly well on his feet, and it was like, "Hey, uh, want to be want to change a tire for us at the Las Vegas 500 Visionaire, whatever it was called?" Sure, like who wouldn't who would say no to that, right? Uh, that's fantasy camp, and I mean, again, we we're so small, so few people. And when you have so few people, you're always hurting for time, getting things done as quickly as you want. So, you know, when we got in some pit stop practice, 
I think our first pit stop practicing might have taken place after qualifying. Up on pit lane, there was no, I think NASCAR trucks might have been there. Whatever supports, like, however the schedule worked out, uh, it was, you know, one of those, the only thing we have left to do is race. And we're just now able to fit in some pit stop practice. And we were small. And we actually performed well for how small we were. But part of what made us sucky and small is part of what made us not super competitive in pit stops. And so I just mentioned this little story of us just getting it to squeak in, I don't know, man, five or six, ten maybe practice stops. So my buddy, like, uh, used the wheel gun on the left front tire like 10 times before the race right i seem to recall we got knocked out before our first stop so it actually that was the one benefit but here's a guy who's like yeah sure can't wait flies out gets there thursday and you know he'll rattle the wheel gun rattle the wheel on and off you know set up pad in the garage whatever but actual the car's coming at me i'm tracking it trying to connect the socket before the car stops and up in the air and wheel off grab the other didn't actually get to do his first practice stop until like the day before the race and made a lot of mistakes and i don't know if any of us were all that good at telling him coaching him how to be great in six to ten pit stop practice attempts and eh, this is an area that we knew because of our size uh lack of size lack of people things just took longer and so on and so forth didn't have enough staff that this is an area that we left on the table and didn't want to so i just share that because are there going to be one or two entries this year that maybe whatever their name happens to be are going to be a little bit under the pump here trying to get stuff done and running behind a little bit and what if the car isn't very fast uh you know is the engineer really going to let you go out and do pit stop practice um wherever i mean you they tend not to encourage you to do that while the sessions are live. Just, you know, let's roll the card out of the box and play around while, you know, others are actually getting ready to try and qualify. Um, is the engineer really going to let you go play with the car while he or she is trying to find missing speed? I mean, so just some of these factors where you go, look at some of the smaller teams, teams that are, are late, to declare for the race or who's driving for them or whatever else and realize that they might be the ones who are not hyper confident about matching pit stop uh, speeds with a Penske, Ganassi, Andretti, or similar. Uh, Dennis Klopper. Hey, Dennis. says, your thoughts on Simona Di Silvestro at the Indy 500 top 10, top 5, top of podium. Good thoughts for your family. Thank you boy i wish i could tell you i'd be placing my bets uh what was it my pal jeremiah morell mentioned uh, not too long ago that simona was at 300 to 1 odds then our man miller just wrote about it uh as well um let's see i would say for sure that i expect simona to do extremely well there's strong engineering 
strong technical support. Uh, Raul Prada is, or Prado, I should say, is uh, going to be engineering the entry. So there's nothing I can observe externally at this relatively early stage to say, boy, they're, uh, they're lacking whatever it might be, some major thing in order to be competitive. I don't think that's going to be the case. So what's the, the one area? Um, if we assume that pit crew will be just as good as any other, what's the one area that could be a little bit of a limiting factor? Well, it'd be that normal driver-engineer connection, right? Simona and Raul don't exactly have more than one day of working together to find that great chemistry when she says this he knows she wants that uh there's probably no shorthand at this point right the could be a look could be a the way she exhales after a question is asked like these are all the little things that if you think of the uh the the race engineer as, as the head coach and the driver as the quarterback or the point guard or the whomever pick whatever your favorite lead player on the field happens to be type scenario. It it is a lot of these little things that help inform the coach or the engineer in this point, which way to go. And when there isn't that chemistry and I'm not saying they won't have it. I'm just saying there's no way they have it after a single test day during the, the indie open test, uh, I hope it will come, but just keep in mind that when a Joseph Newgarden or a Scott Dixon or an Alexander Rossi or whomever, right, is talking to their new, or I'm sorry, their veteran race engineer, there's a shorthand. They know what they want from one another. They have things they can go back to either on paper or in their mind. Hey, you remember back two years ago when we had this thing happened and I said, the car kind of felt like this and I really didn't like it. And you did that thing to fix it. Yeah. I just felt that same thing. It's those little bits where you go, wow, that's what tends to transform a competitive entry to a holy cow, put your money on it. Entry. This is the single biggest question mark for hashtag me personally, Dennis. And that is Simona, Rahul, how did they come together and find that great driver, engineer, mind meld, speaking style, interaction style, where he can divine what she needs in a minimal amount of time and words and make the right decisions to give her what she needs so she can get the most out of the car. Do I think Simona can win the Indy 500? Absolutely. Do I think that's going to happen this year? I don't know if I'd put money on that. And again, that's not because I doubt her capability, Peretta Autosports capability, their link to Penske. And I mean, right, this is as good, a, good an opportunity as Simona will have ever had in the 500. If we're talking about coming back year two, same team, same setup, same everything, probably feel a little bit more confident in putting her in the yeah 
<laughs> I would be surprised if she wasn't vying for a really meaningful finish. You were mentioned top 10, top 5. I'd say a top 10, top 12 or 13. I think that'd be pretty darn amazing for this team's debut. We know the Penske link and all those things. I get all that. That doesn't automatically mean the car goes to the front and wins. Uh, just thinking about all the new things, all the getting back up to speeds, all the developments of interactions and so on and so forth. I'd be really pleased if Simona came home top 12. Anything better than that? Anything kind of top eight, top six? I mean, if Beth and company and Roger aren't doing backflips and splits and uh, break dancing on the yard of bricks, then they need to get their heads checked. Uh, let's see. Jeremy Bullard, how would you rate Graham Rahal's chance to drink the milk this year? I got to feel, Jeremy, like. This is as good a chance uh, Graham has ever had or will ever have. He and his race engineer, Alan McDonald, really seem like they are at the peak that they've been in the uh, couple years that they've been together. I don't know if it's becoming a dad. I don't know what it is. But I, the Graham Rahal, little less outward venting, little more introspective. I know he and our man, Jack... Uh, what is what was it uh rubbing the bean uh mr beans um whatever tossing the beans uh harvey no he and him he and him sure no those two were slightly grumpy at texas but graham boy more a little more fatherly i need to talk to my boy he done he did he done did me wrong compared to oh my god it's the end of the world like the end of the world, Graham Rahal, the one that I know some of you aren't super fond of. I didn't see that guy there. And, uh, yeah, so, again, maybe it's the becoming a father thing. Maybe he's chilling a little bit. Whatever it is, I like the groove that he's in, Jeremy. So, for real, uh, that Rahal team, they are good at the Indy 500. So, yeah, uh, I, I like their chances. If there's a leading dark horse... I know it's strange to have a, the defending 8500 winners there listed as a dark horse, but you know Graham specifically, uh, it seems like I don't know if he's going to get a lot of mentions coming into and through practice qualifying or whatever, but I do feel like uh, Graham's odds of, of drinking the milk pretty darn good this year, Jeremy. Again, I'm, I'm struggling to remember a time I've felt more uh, emboldened about saying that about our boy. All right, time for another sip of my youngling Hershey's chocolate porter. It's not bad. It's it's strange, like a hint of chocolate in a beer. It's strange, but uh, here it is. Let me take a sip. Uh, Austin Sutton. How you doing, Austin? MP, do you think Top Gun Racing will have a decent chance of making the uh, field of 33, or is it a hope and a prayer that they will be competing in the 500? Here's what I can tell you, Austin. Uh, practice for the Indy 500 starts in what eight days or so again I'm recording this on a Monday so not sure when you're listening to it but it starts on like what next Tuesday I think something like that um they turn their very first laps in the car 
eight days before the start of practice. Did not participate in the Indy Open test. Uh, they went to a short oval. Why does that matter? Well, if you saw any photos of the car, uh, it's in standard short oval configuration, also known as road course wings. Why did I sing that in a really strained voice? No idea, but hey. Uh, and no, I'm not drunk. I wish I could get drunk on half a beer. That'd be cool. Like, talk about not needing a lot of beer. Um, yeah, uh, that might be a place, Austin, where we have to say those are some pretty serious concerns if we're talking competitiveness. Uh, so not turning laps till eight days before the first practice session, those laps turn shakedown being in high downforce, short oval road course type configuration. Uh, for, I don't have a lap count, but I was told by the track, they turned a minimal number of laps. Um, yeah, that doesn't, that's not necessarily a bad thing. If they're confident they did enough, they shook the thing down, found whatever, faults and fix them and said okay let's go home um is it impossible for a team like theirs to show up with almost no running almost completely cold if you want to put it that way um and have a chance of making the field of 33 well this is maybe a a a theme that we I just mention it all the time because it's so darn important and it hasn't changed and won't change. Uh, I don't know who's engineering their car. Does that mean whomever is engineering it is not good? No, not at all. Just saying, I have no idea who it is. Shared before somewhat recently and probably in past years leading up to the Indy 500. Most of the truly coveted folks whether it's mechanics, gearbox specialists, race engineers, refuelers, truck drivers, PR people, whomever, most of the truly coveted people are taken. Those are people engaged in full-time jobs in the IndyCar series with teams. You then have the other layer of the Indy onlys. You go, cool, we already got to the one question here earlier about how those teams are staffed. Great. You start getting to the brand new team, missed last year's race, just got an engine lease signed off within the past week, just did a shakedown eight days before practice starts. Um, Knowing that there's 35 other cars that have drivers, engineers, and all kinds of other things attached, it's just natural to say the true cream of the crop are taken and have been taken for a little while. So that's no disrespect to anyone who's working on one of the last minute late entries, but this plays out every year. That's why it's not specific to top gun. You rarely get the, Oh wow. That person has a couple Indy 500 rings, uh, stored away in a locker somewhere every now and then you do right. Hey, Tim Wardrop is engineering Jean Lacy in a Lotus powered car at the 500. 
well, okay, uh, that's a little wacky tobacky, but hey, um, off you go. By and large, though, you aren't going to get cutting edge. Was just engineering for a team last year uh, at the 500, did well type people that are still available. So just sharing this general insight here uh, to try and get to the answer here, Austin, of if they had said, look, small team, new team, late team, all kinds of stuff that we know, and we've been fortunate to do a deal with, name the team, Ed Carpenter Racing, Carlin Racing, pick a Chevy-powered team, and they have offered to provide technical assistance, I'd say, okay, that with a quality team, we know Carlin's been pretty darn quick on ovals. We know Ed Carpenter Racing's pretty darn good on ovals. We can start erasing some of the other deficits. Late, new, all these other things. Hey, you, you got a alliance and a pipeline to good information to help make a young team look old, older, and expedite a lot of things. I believe the team in an interview said proudly and as it landed with me somewhat defiantly, hey, we're not like those other new teams that need to go to others for help. We're going to do it on our own. I can't tell you, Austin, if there were other Chevy-powered teams that would have been open to doing a technical alliance and sharing information. I can't tell you if the Top Gun team has the budget to pay for such a thing if it were made available by a team. I can tell you, though, with most of the known badass race engineers taken and no technical alliance, it is going to require a Honkos Racing times five type miracle for them to make the show. And do I think that had they been on track three months ago and were able to recruit some people who were available three months ago that have, that are no longer their odds of making the show would have been much greater. I think so. RC Enerson is a wheel man. I truly that kid balls of steel giant balls of steel that kid right he's still a pup but man regardless uh i truly hope because if you if you guys know me again if you really know who i am you know that i live for the top gun racings to knock someone out of the field of 33 because man those are the things we remember not hey big team with a bunch of cars as a couple extra drivers who are kind of not having a great month but because the team is big and a lot of experience and generally good yeah they're gonna get they're gonna fill out the back row and you know it's just by nature of those drivers with that team yeah they're gonna take those spots no emotion no one gives a fart no one writes a single story about it no one's 
moved to any degree by it. Happens every year. I've probably been part of some of those entries in the past where you go, yeah, no one cares. (laughs) No one knows we're here. No one cares we're here. Like, we're truly invisible. It's when a Top Gun racing makes the show where you go, now, whole everybody, stop what you're doing. Write the poll winner, then write your Top Gun story. And then whomever Top Gun knocked out, can you believe it? They're all like in a state of shock. So the whole 2019 Hunkos Racing knocking out Fernando, freaking Alonzo, uh, Clausen Marshall Racing, still one of the great modern performances in an Indy 500 in terms of, oh my, how how did you make it in? And then how did you finish that high? Right? I I can't tell you what else Pippa Mann might do in her professional racing career. But I can tell you, and she, I'm sure she might have some other things she, that she rates higher winning an Indy lights or again, who knows? I just tell you external observer. I can't think of a single thing Pippa Man will do that will top that. Unless, of course, she gets into the race with another team and wins it. But I'm just saying, the odds against that little team doing what they did, holy crap. I remember that. I For those of you who watched, I think you remember that. Hunkos versus McLaren. Kyle Kaiser, right? I mean, come on. Love the guy. But Kyle Kaiser against Fernando Alonso? On what planet does Fernando not come out on top? But he didn't. These are the things I'm going to talk about. And I'm hoping many of you will remember for the rest of your lives where you go, I saw that in person on TV. I read about it, whatever. Wow, that can happen. So I just sharing all this with you because when I look at Top Gun Racing, mentioned from the outset, did not take them seriously because they didn't give me a reason to. Not that my opinion matters. I'm just saying I track a lot of things. I pay attention to the things that are real. They've proven to be real at least with one short test at Gateway. If they can get to the Indy 500, I don't know. Maybe Chevy takes pity or helps or passes down something to help because Chevy has a lot of really good information as well. I don't know how the odds are long, Austin, really long. And I'm kind of answering Jordan Darwin's question a little bit next about, um, dark horses. I mean, this is, you know, I mentioned Ray Hall is maybe the dark horse to win. Uh, top gun is certainly the biggest dark horse to make the race, but crazier things have happened. But how's this? If you were betting your life on Top Gun Racing making the field of 33 Austin, I would have to plead with you to not do so. Or all your money, or whatever, I would plead with you to not do so. Because up front, the odds are, I don't even know what they are, but I just tell you, they're staggering. Like you could crane your head back to the sky and you probably still wouldn't see the peak of those odds but crazier things have happened so decent chance no not decent at all will i be very quietly and privately as a fan not as a independent 
journalist, but as a fan, will I be rooting for them to succeed? Of course, I, I want to write that story so bad. Anybody, whether you are a, a journalist, a TV producer, an anchor, or whatever, if you aren't rooting for Top Gun to make the show, uh, you got serious problems uh, about understanding storytelling and making memories. So for that sake alone, man, Austin, very privately as Marshall Pruitt, the fan, I am rooting for them like you wouldn't believe. Uh, right Turn Lover, you say, I have a vague recollection of having heard or read 37 as the number of entrants for the Indy 500. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what you want me to say to that because I can't speak to what you may have heard or recollect. I know what I've written, and if you've read any of what I've written, you got your answer. So I don't know how to respond to that, but uh, there you go. Uh, Tracy. At Apex ATX on Twitter. Uh, she says, with Jimmy Johnson confirmed to be part of the broadcast team for the Indy 500, do you think Romain Groschel might attend for the experience? Also, any chance you know someone at IndyCar or NBC that can get Will Buxton over here for some Indy 500 coverage since Monaco doesn't clash this year? Um, Let's go with the last one first. I saw that Will liked your question, so... I know that my man Buxton uh, loves himself some IndyCar, especially some Indy 500, and I'm sure if he could, he would. Will sent me a little uh, text, I think last Friday, maybe, um, showing uh, he's wearing a shirt, Uncle Bobby shirt, of uh, Bobby's qualifying photo for the uh, 1968 Indy 500. And I think I saw Will also share that on social media too. So good man, that Buxton. Um I don't know if it's possible, and I guess I could ask Tracy, but I also guess he probably would have reached out and said, yeah, if there's any way you know, tell me. Um, I think Will's under contract to Formula One to the point to where him going and freelancing elsewhere is maybe not an option. I don't remember the exact circumstances, Tracy, but uh, two years ago, three years ago, however many it's been, when Will made the transition, I think it was, frankly, when uh, the F1 contract moved from NBC Sports over to ESPN. I just recall Will saying that under his new arrangement, um, unfortunately, he really would not be available for uh, uh, a lot of the regular extracurricular media things he was doing. So I wonder if that's maybe a roadblock. As for Roma attending... The 500, I will try and remember to send in that question because it'd be smart for him to hang around and at least watch some practice. I don't know if staying and watching the race is going to do a ton for him. He wouldn't be in a car. So in theory, uh, he'd be watching the same feed as anyone else or as everyone else. He could obviously see some pit stops happening live, which, again, I don't know if that's a reason to hang out for a couple of weeks, but um, he's that interesting place, Tracy, where with family and with staying based at home in France, I just get the feeling from Romain that being home as often as he can 
and not kind of hanging around and doing whatever other stuff that keeps them away from home that isn't truly necessary, he's maybe not in that place in life. And I don't know if I'm sharing any real insights here, but you know, early in our marriage, I know that I did a lot of long trips here and there, and it wasn't because I was trying to get away from my wife. It's just still at that stage in my whatever early mid thirties, still a little bit of a wandering adventuresome mindset, uh, obviously new and newly married and in love and all those things. But you know, we were still a little more independent than uh, we would become with more years added. So I just get the feeling from Roma that he's at that place where, you know, well, he's only 34, but I just get that feeling where, Hey, uh, do I hang out for a couple weeks after my race just to see things? Or do I maybe hang out for a couple extra days, get a feel, but then head back home? That's where I think the answer might lie, but I'm going to try and remember to reach out and ask and get an answer. So it seems like I'm stacking up the, let me go find out and see if I can come back and give you an answer next week or something like that. Uh, list. Well, hello friends. Rarely do I do dedicated outros for the week in IndyCar, but I lost my mind last night when I recorded. So yeah, meant to do the show, maybe hour and a half, hour 45. Oh, look. I got out to about two hours and 45 minutes and couldn't tell you why, but I did. So knowing this, I said, okay, uh, I need to cut the show in half. So that is exactly what I'm doing here. So thanks for listening. Uh, There's a part two, also known as really, it was just one part, but I've broken that into two parts uh, for your digestive systems to hopefully make it a little bit easier so thanks as always to cooper tires the justice brothers torontomotorsports.com and you and uh so that was the episode and if you want well there's more so uh go take a listen